three-week series starting Wednesday night with Brother Dennis Anderson on holiness. And I texted him and told him I have confidence in him. I want him to feel a complete liberty to touch on anything concerning standards or anything connected to holiness that he feels like the Lord would talk to him about. And uh, looking forward to that. Youth will be in here the next three Wednesday nights. This will be a church gathering on behalf of holiness and uh, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. And I pray that God would put that in our hearts and spirits. Please do your best to be here these next three Wednesday nights. Well, I want to preach to you this evening on the subject, the complete work of Calvary, the complete work of Calvary. And uh, I think most of us here tonight probably understand that grace comes through Calvary. The shed blood of Jesus Christ is what washes away our sins. But there is far more to Calvary than just the washing away of sin. And I want us to capture the complete picture tonight, the complete work of Calvary. Would you just pray that God would just have his way in the next little while and would just touch our hearts? And I, I, I told God, I said, I, I would just like for it to be like Isaiah, Lord, when your glory just filled that place. And he fell down and cried out, woe is me, that the most spiritual of us here tonight would just cry out, just so in awe of the holiness, the glory of God, that we would say, woe is me, I need you, oh God. Pray together with me. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful for your beautiful spirit that is here tonight. Thank you for these faithful saints of God and their worship unto you. I ask for your anointing as I preach tonight. Transform us by the renewing of our minds here tonight, God. I pray that you would help us, God. We're 2,000 years removed from this, but would you help us to recapture the complete picture of Calvary tonight? And we thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. Our story begins tonight in Genesis 3 and what is commonly referred to as the fall of man. When Satan begins to talk to Eve and convinces her that God was not giving her the complete story. And there were things that he said he was mistaken about. And Satan says to her, thou shalt not surely die. And he tells her, God knows that if you partake of this fruit, it will open your eyes and you will understand things that you've never understood before. And God's just kind of holding things back from you. He was so convincing in his speech that she relented and partook of that fruit that God had forbidden in the garden. The only fruit that God had forbidden in the garden. They had opportunity to experience so many wonderful things that God had created for them. But Satan chose to zero in on the one thing 
that God said, this is off limits. And uh, I'm just here to tell you he hasn't changed. He's still trying to pull off that same thing with people today. Instead of focusing on all the wonderful things that God's blessed us with to enjoy, he'll focus in and zero in on something that God's Word says is off limits and just make you feel like your life's not really complete and you're missing out and there are a lot of people falling for it hook, line, and sinker only to see their lives destroyed. Genesis 3 is the fall of man. Adam and Eve were removed from the garden, and there was a breakdown in the relationship between God and humanity. Everybody say the fall of man. The very next chapter, chapter 4, talks about Adam and Eve having children, Cain and Abel. And it tells the awful story of Cain being consumed with jealousy because his brother Abel had a sacrifice that was accepted of the Lord, but Cain's sacrifice was rejected. And in a jealous-fueled rage, Cain commits the first recorded murder in the Bible and takes the life of his brother and so with chapter 3 and chapter 4 of Genesis, we are left not only with a broken relationship between God and humanity, but we are left with broken relationships between brothers. Calvary is the story of Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh, suffering bleeding and ultimately dying for the reconciliation of man to God. But the work of Calvary involved more than man being reconciled to God. It involves the reconciliation of brother with brother or sister with sister. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus shares this. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Jesus put great emphasis on the importance of unity within the family and the church. It was the Lord that declared a house divided against itself cannot stand. If I put my finger on one thing that I have been most thankful for over the years in this church, it would be the unity that God has blessed us with but I'm just telling you, unity doesn't just come. Unity costs you something. You have to fight for unity. Unity is not the way of the flesh, but it is the way of the Spirit. So the way of the flesh has to be crucified, that we can walk in the Spirit and experience the unity that God has for us. Prior to Calvary, Jesus shared the Last Supper 
with the 12 apostles. There they break bread and eat together, and then they drink of the fruit of the vine. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul lets us know that this was a precedent for remembering Calvary. He shares this with us in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 11. For as oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. And so it is a remembering, it is a time of communion where you reflect on what Calvary was all about. When you reflect on the price that was paid that we might come to know him and be reconciled to God and have a beautiful day-by-day relationship with the Lord. But immediately after the Last Supper, Jesus lays aside his garments, gets a towel, and he pours water into a basin. Then to the surprise and even the alarm of the apostles, he begins to wash their feet and has a conversation with Peter about it when Peter says, you're not going to wash my feet. And the Lord said, well, if I don't, then you don't have any part with me. And and so, you know, Peter, he said, well, then just wash my whole body. And the Lord said, no, you just need to wash the feet. But Jesus leaves these thoughts with us in John chapter 13 and verse 12. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? You call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. This was all in preparation for the finished work of Calvary to restore us to God and to one another. First of all, it's communion. It is the breaking of the bread, the partaking of the fruit of the vine, remembering the sacrifice of Calvary. But the Lord understands for his church to thrive. We need more than just a reconciliation to God, but we need a reconciliation with one another that there would be unity in the church. Could you clap your hands to the Lord for that? After Calvary and spending time with the apostles to give them the great commission, the Lord ascends up into the heavens. But then his born-again church that we read about in Acts 2, that prayed until they were filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave utterance. That born-again church becomes his body upon the face of the earth. In order for that body to function to its full potential, there has to be clear communication with the head, which is Jesus Christ. But there also has to be complete cooperation between the members of that body. 
Do you follow me? The brain sends out the signals. But the individual members have to cooperate with one another. We get our signal from the Lord Jesus Christ. He speaks to the body. But it is so important that the members of the body work in cooperation with one another. That's why in the first five chapters of the great book of Acts revival, the words one accord are mentioned five times. They were together in one accord, one accord. Together with passion, they worshiped. Together with passion, they prayed. Together with passion, they were reaching out to the Lord. The complete work of Calvary not only restores our relationship with God, but it brings us together in one accord. Can you say amen? 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. It's bringing us back to fellowship with him. I read from the book of Ephesians chapter 2 and beginning with verse number 13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. And, and in some of these next few verses, he's going to bring us to an understanding. Yes, there was a difference between the Jews and the Gentiles, but the finished work of Calvary is going to bring Jew and Gentile together as one in Christ. Verse 14 for he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even a law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make himself in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you who were far off unto them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Some were close by the law. Some had some kind of relationship with God through the law. But some of us were Gentiles, and we were far removed from the promises of God. But thank God for Calvary. It brought the Jews together and the Gentiles together to make both of them one in God. Verse 18, for through him, through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And you know what it's like to walk into a place and not know anybody and, and you just feel a little uncomfortable and you're really not sure of what you need to do, where you need to sit and what it's all about. But aren't you thankful that when we came to the Lord knowing nothing about the things of God, knowing so little about him, he so graciously pulled up a chair and said, come, sit down, make yourself at home. I've been waiting on you for a long time. And we were so far removed, but we're brought so close through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Some of you were not raised in church. 
Some of you were raised in heathen homes and heard so little of prayer. Some of you heard more cursing than you did prayer in your home. But aren't you thankful for the shed blood of Jesus Christ that can bring us all together in him? Verse 19, now therefore, I think we just read that one, didn't we? Let's move to verse 20. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Everybody say cornerstone. A cornerstone is in the corner and it ties two walls together. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth. Everybody say groweth groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are builded together. Everybody say together. For a habitation of God through the Spirit. He is the cornerstone that brings the Old and the New Testament together. He is the cornerstone that brings the apostles and the prophets Together, He is the cornerstone that brings the new members of the church and the old members of the church together. He is the cornerstone that brings the young and the old together. On this Sunday night, we want to experience the complete work of Calvary. We want to be reconciled to him and we want to be reconciled with one another. We want unity to prevail. Can you say amen? As I close with one last verse of scripture, two verses from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah so poetically writes of the coming of Jesus Christ and his sufferings and what was going to be accomplished through the work of Calvary. Isaiah 53 and 4, surely, everybody say surely. Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. The complete work of Calvary, it brings us in reconciliation with God. It brings us in reconciliation with one another. But it goes so far above and beyond that. It's the healing of the soul. It's the healing of the body. And it's the healing of the mind. Thank God for Calvary. Thank God for Calvary. If you walked in here tonight needing a touch in your mind, I just want you to know the complete work of Calvary covers that. If you walked in here needing healing in your body, can I tell you the complete work of Calvary covers that. If you come in here tonight aching in your heart, feeling estranged from God, can I tell you the complete work of Calvary covers that. Would you stand and let's clap our hands to the Lord. Some of you 
Maybe you've been raised in this all your life and just have a hard time wrapping your brain about it. But there's some folks here tonight that can tell you when you've been raised in sin and saw so much more of sin than you did the things of God, it's a refreshing, beautiful thing to see Calvary work in your heart and your life. Can some of you say amen to that? Thank the Lord for Calvary. And I'm just going to tell you, some of you, maybe everything in your family has just been perfect over the years, and maybe everything in your local church has been just everything perfect. I say this humbly before God. Please understand my spirit is pure, best I know tonight before God. Well, Sister 180, we had a few years when there wasn't peace in the body. And it was a point where you just absolutely dreaded going to church, not knowing what was going to happen. It was so dysfunctional and such a lack of unity. And I'm just telling you, God has been so kind and gracious to us to grant this particular assembly and body of believers a special touch of unity. But don't you ever take it for granted. It's special. And you better understand that Satan would like nothing more than to destroy the unity that exists between the brothers and sisters of this church. But we are not ignorant of his devices according to the word of the Lord. And we realize how important unity is. So the Lord said, when you get ready to offer that gift to God, and you remember your brother has ought against you, go to that brother and get reconciled to that brother first and then bring your offering to the Lord. I don't know about you, but that tells me in the eyes of God, unity is really, really special. I know some folks think communion, but Warson, that's old-fashioned stuff from years ago. But I'm telling you, unity has never been more special right now. We're living in a dysfunctional country that's being divided and ripped apart at the seams. There was ever anybody that ought to recognize the importance of unity, it ought to be the citizens of the United States of America right now. It's something we need to cry for and pray for. God, help us to come together in one accord. On this Sunday night, would you allow unity with God and unity with one another just to sweep over your spirit as they begin to sing unto the Lord.